This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. My name is Matt Leto. Uh, me and my wife, Emily, who was up here earlier, uh, moved here in September, like she said. I love coffee. I am a coffee lover. Um, in fact, I love it enough for two people, which is why Em doesn't like it. But now that you know my silent struggle, I would appreciate it if you would pray with me uh, for her deliverance from whatever oppression is on her life that doesn't make her like coffee. Um, but we moved here in September, us and our little son, Leo, and we plugged in with Nova. We're so, so thrilled to be under the ministry of Pastors Mike and Nancy. Uh, just an incredible, incredible like pair of leaders, really a power couple, and really excited to be part of what God is doing here at Nova Church. And so I'm excited to be invited this morning to bring the word. If you have your Bible, we're going to jump in right now. Turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah. That's, that's right. So pretty much find the New Testament and then go eight books back. That's how you find Jonah, just in case you're trying to figure out what's going on there. We're kicking off a new series this week uh, called Sunday School. Sunday School. So turn to your neighbor, say Sunday School. Turn to your other neighbor, say, you're about to get schooled. Not you're about to, you're about to get schooled, all right? So we're doing this series. We're taking some of the most well-known stories in all of the Bible, and we're going to be spending a couple of weeks going through them. And, and why are we doing this? Well, maybe you're in this place, and, and you grew up in church, all right? You grew up in the musty basement eating stale arrowroot cookies, when sister so-and-so was taking the flannel graph and taking you through an immersive 15-minute drama using nothing but felt board. You know what I'm, anyone relate to that? And then when the felt board got too old and one of the characters would peel off, she was just like, and Jesus healed him. And you're like, I didn't know Jesus was with Abraham. That's amazing, right? Or maybe you're in this place and like you kind of have an idea about some of these stories. But like if you're being honest, when someone says David and Goliath, you think, 2012, New England Patriots, New York Giants. Eli Manning was David, and the big bad Tom Brady was slain in Jesus' name because everybody hates the Patriots. It's very popular. Does anyone, anyone a Patriots fan here? Oh, my people. Back in Toronto, everyone's like, Buffalo Bills. You're like, why? Why would you cheer for the Buffalo? Okay, I've offended someone this morning. But, you know, or maybe you're in this place and you just have no context for any of this. You maybe come to church and when someone's like, you know that story in the Old Testament, and your neighbor's like, mm-hmm, and you're like, yep, but really you have no clue what's happening. Anyone relate to that? Or maybe you're just in this place and you're like, yeah, I know nothing about nothing and I'm pretty okay with admitting that. We're happy you're here. We're glad that you're here. And what we're gonna be doing over the next couple of weeks is we're gonna be going through some of these stories and we're gonna be taking a fresh look at them. And here's the thing, whether you're hearing it for the first time or whether you're hearing it for the thousandth time, I believe, and, and really the reason why we're doing this is because these stories are not just great kids' stories because they have giants and giant fish and men that can tear down buildings. No, no, these are great stories because they reveal to us the character and nature of God. And what that means for us in 2019 is that we get to see something of the heart of God for us today, not just back then. And so with fresh eyes, we're going to go through these stories. And I'd invite you right from the outset, maybe you've heard these stories before, maybe you haven't. Can we just agree as a community to lean in to what it is that God may be speaking to us today? Because I genuinely believe if we listen to what God is speaking, it can change your life. Amen? Amen. All right. 
If you're there, if you're in Jonah chapter one, say I'm there. If not, uh, we have a Bible that's gonna come up on screen. So it's very convenient for you. But we love the Bible here at Nova. We believe it is the word of God. And if you need to hear a word from God this morning, guess what? We're gonna go there right now. So it says this, Jonah one chapter one. The Lord gave this message to Jonas, uh, the son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now, this is a bit of a heavy way to start a Sunday morning. God is bringing judgment and people are wicked. Okay, that's, that's kind of nice for a nice 10 a.m. service. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He brought back a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. At least he bought a ticket, so we're off to a good start. That's great. Would you pray with me this morning and ask God to speak to us as a community? Can we do that, church? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it is living and active and that it is powerful. God, I pray for everyone in this room right now. Lord, for the people who maybe are, are just still feeling a little bit uncomfortable, people who are maybe kind of wondering what's going on, Lord, I pray that your presence will be here for them. Lord, I pray that each and every single person that can hear my voice this morning, that you would speak to them. Lord, I pray that my words would fall to the floor, but that your words would take root in people's hearts and cause it to flourish and be productive in our life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I was going to pray for snow to go to Moncton, but I'm from Ontario, and that's enough for people not to like me. So I'm just going to not do that. Have you ever, um, maybe you relate to this, maybe you don't. You ever been to or seen a movie where the entire time you're like, what is happening? Or maybe the movie finishes and you're like, still, what just happened? I have no idea what I just watched. That was completely confusing to me in all ways. Anyone ever seen one of those weird indie films that indie kids really like? Well, I made the mistake one time in college of not only seeing one of these movies, but going to it in public. I went to a theater that was showing an art film. Yeah, that's not my scene. And as soon as I got there, I knew this, all right? Because I walk into the theater, everybody is wearing all black. They look like beatniks from the 1960s. They got a beret on their head. They're wearing glasses without lenses. And they're reading a book, a book! in the theater. And I was like, I, I should just leave right now. I can tell that I'm not gonna like this movie. But I went with a group of people, and so I decide to suffer through it. And for the first 10 minutes, I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. But around minute 30, I was completely lost, just totally clueless as to what was happening in this film. I'm like, why is that guy shooting that? I thought they were friends. I don't know what's happening. Just utter confusion on all levels. But I'm one of those people who you know, I bury that deep down inside and I just pretend like I know what's happening. Or better yet, I just go home and Google it later, right? But there's a certain type of person, and maybe you know them. I call them movie talkers, and they're just the worst. Does anyone, anyone know a movie talker in this place? Hey, if you are a husband, just make eye contact. Do not look at your wife. Do not nudge them. Guys, just let's get through this together, all right? This is not a setup. Do not look at the person that might be a movie talker sitting beside you this morning. I'm sorry, guys. I, that was bad. But there's going to be some husbands in the lobby afterward. They're like, no, honey, I like when you ask questions. It makes me consider the plot more deeply. I, I enjoy it personally. But so I brought not one but two movie talkers to this movie. 
And we're sitting in the theater, and have you noticed that movie talkers, if you're a movie talker in this place, this is a judgment-free zone. You're not a bad person. Just shh, all right? Just Google. Google later, all right? But I'm sitting in this theater. I'm, I'm trying to watch this movie, trying to understand what's happening, and the entire time it's like, who is that? And like, have you noticed that they're the loudest whisperers in the entire world? Like, why whisper? Just yell. Everyone can hear you anyway, right? They're like, hey, why is he shooting? I'm like, I don't. We're seeing this for the first time together. I have no clue what's happening. And they're like, well, then who's that? I'm like, I still don't know. I like, stop asking me questions, right? And we walk out of the theater. And again, I just bury my questions deep down inside walking through the lobby because movie talkers become lobby talkers. And they're walking through in the loudest possible tones being like, I just don't understand. Was the guy with the fedora a good guy or a bad guy? He was just sort of indiscriminately shooting people. And you're like, please, oh, please stop. The, the hipsters are judging us, please, right? And then you have like one of these Australian hipsters being like, oh, actually that's like, you know, a metaphor for like the unknowableness of life and like how we're just trending toward entropy all the time. And you're like, you're very smart, thank you, stranger, that's great. But if we're being honest, sometimes when we, we approach the Bible, it can feel much the same way, especially the Old Testament, right? Where you read it and the entire time you're like, what, what is happening right now? I mean, who is Jonah? Why is this guy running from God? What is why is there a fish, you know? And what can happen is that if, if we take these stories and we don't wrestle with them, we don't look for context, then sometimes what can happen is we walk away missing the point entirely. And the book of Jonah happens to just be one of those stories. You know, often when you see the book of Jonah, just take a look on Amazon, all that you see is a front cover of a guy being swallowed by a fish. And you would think with a simple reading of Jonah, oh, this story's about a guy who runs from God, falls off a ship, God swallows him with a fish, and then he gets spit up when he's finally obedient, and he goes to a town and a bunch of people get saved. Great, that's a good story. Let's put that one back on the shelf. But the truth of this book is that it is one of the most unique books in the entire Bible. There is not one book that is like it. And its message to its original readers and to us today is so profound and so deep that I believe it can change our lives. So let's dig in this morning. Let's look at what this book is really saying to us and speaking to us. First of all, it starts off with this verse. Let's get that back up one more time. Jonah 1, 1, if we could. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So right off the bat, this is a book of prophecy. All of the other books of prophecy in the Bible are the words of a prophet being said to people. But this book is, is different. It's a book of prophecy, but actually it's a story of a guy who goes and runs from God. Now, prophets back in the Old Testament, and Jonah is one of those, had kind of a rough life. Like, it was not the glamour position that you would want to have in the temple. Prophets were the kind of people that brought corrective words to bad kings of Israel. And very often, they were sawn in half or buried in a well, alive, or it was, it was not a good scene. But Jonah is one of those prophets that got to bring a good word. And there's this one king named Jeroboam II, very bad king, you know, idol worship, sacrificing children, just not, not, not good. And Jonah's like, hey, guess what? You're going to retake the northern territories of our kingdom. Isn't that great? So who do you like more, the guy who's telling you off or the guy that's telling you that you're going to take territory? Jonah was popular. 
Jonah had everything. He had the robes. He had the camels. He had the nice house. He was buddy-buddy with the king of Israel. As far as prophets go, Jonah had it good. But then all of a sudden, God goes, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against it. Now, to understand something, this means that Jonah's had a comfortable life, but now he needs to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is the capital city of ancient Assyria, and the Assyrians were not good people, bad dudes. Their common practice in warfare was to skin enemy soldiers alive in front of the city walls of the city that they were attacking, and then impale them on spikes to send a message. In their city, it was so common that they would have child sacrifice, that they would have all sorts of really awful injustice and sin in their city. And God looks at it and goes, enough. Enough innocent blood, enough people being oppressed, enough injustice, I'm putting an end to it, and I'm going to send my prophet. Cue Jonah, the comfortable one the prophet who has everything. And God goes, Jonah, you're going to go to Nineveh. And just imagine this moment when Jonah's had the comfortable life. He's got the two camels parked in his garage. Everything's going well for him. And God goes, hey, you're going to go to your arch enemy who commonly skin people alive, and you're going to tell them off from me. And Jonah's like, oh, oh, no, no, Lord, I'm a good news prophet, you know. That's not really my skill set. Like, I'm sure there's someone else that you can find, though. You know, hey, Amos, come over here. You know, like he's calling other prophets over. God's like, no, 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 you go, Jonah. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 cool, 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 cool. The thing is, though, that, um, I, you know, I got to pack. So uh, you, you wait here, and I'm going to go pack. I'm not going to run away <laughs> or anything like that. So I'll be right back. And then he takes off. He just runs it says that he goes to the port of Joppa, which is down and away from Nineveh. And then he gets on a ship to Tarshish. Now, this would be like the equivalent of me being like, I'm going to Timbuktu, guys. You're like, where is that? Exactly. It is the edge of the known world. There is absolutely nothing there that Jonah would be going to other than to run away from God. And if we follow the story, it goes pretty much along the lines of Jonah brings this entire crew of sailors into peril because God sends a storm. And these pagan sailors who do not know the God of Israel actually have the discernment to go, wait, this isn't a normal storm. Uh, God or some sort of God is sending this storm against us. And so they're praying. They're playing God roulette. They're just praying to every God that they possibly know just in case that God is the one sending the storm. And then they go downstairs, and Jonah is do doing what? He's asleep. The man of God is sleeping during the storm, but the pagans are fervently praying. Now, they're praying to the wrong God, of course, but Jonah comes up and they're like, hey man, don't you fear for your life? Pray to the God of Israel that he may save us. And he's like, yeah, all right, so God, hey, here, I'm just here. Just God, just bless us, God, on this voyage. Man, I was so tired. Why did they wake me? And then eventually they get to the point where like, this isn't working. The gods are not hearing us. Let's cast lots. It's pretty much like throwing dice to determine who it is that is the one that has brought this calamity on us. And Jonah's like, yeah, cool, let's do that. There's a good chance that you'll miss me. But God causes the dice to fall on Jonah. And they all look at him like, so who are you? Uh, tell me about yourself. What do you do? And look at this in verse 9. Look at what Jonah's response is to them. Jonah 1 verse 9, Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. 
You got to get why that's funny. To an ancient audience, this would be like the best of Will Ferrell SNL. They're like, ha! <laughs> he worships a God who made the sea and he ran away on a boat. That is hilarious, right? And these sailors are like, why would you do this to us? What are you thinking? And he's like, you know what? Just throw me overboard and everything's going to be fine. And they're like, no, we can't do that. The pagans are respecting him, okay? So like, this is crazy story right now. But eventually they relent. They try rowing back to shore, but they can't. They throw Jonah overboard and immediately the storm stops. It says that all of these sailors then go, oh, this was the one true God, and they worship him, and they are saved. Then we enter into the most well-known part of this story. God sends a large fish to swallow Jonah. Now, we're not going to dwell too much on this, but essentially what happens is that Jonah's in the belly of this fish, miraculously being kept alive by God, and he composes a poem. And this poem is like a worship song to God, okay? Like, I'm sure it was four chords and everything, okay? And he is in the belly of this fish, and he's like, oh, God, when I was in distress, I called to you and you saved me. Thank you for that, and I will now fulfill my vows. He doesn't repent. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't say that he's seen the light. He just is like, oh, thank you for, for blessing me, for, for saving me. And the response to this is actually quite humorous in the original language. It says that the fish vomited him out. Like he finishes his song and the fish is like, <laughs> like gross, man. Like, and then he gets up and he walks into the city of Nineveh. And let's look at this at the beginning of chapter three. We're going through this kind of quick, so I appreciate you keeping up. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. This means that he was walking every single street in Nineveh. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Wait, what? Hold on a second. These people had a reputation as the worst of the worst pagans. Hard hearts, full of vice, full of wickedness. You would think that when you are in the fish, when you're walking to Nineveh, that you're coming up with the best sermon that you could possibly, you're like, oh God, I recognize that these people need something that breaks their hard hearts. And what does Jonah do? He sends them an angry tweet. That's what this is. In, in Hebrew, it's only five words. Yet in 40 days, the city is going to be destroyed. And you can picture that as Jonah is walking through the city for three days, he's like picking up steam. He's enjoying it now. He's like, <laughs> yet in 40 days, the city is going to be destroyed. And you're like, why is he enjoying this so much? You know, it kind of seems like he's phoning it in. He doesn't mention their sin. He doesn't mention who's going to overthrow them. He doesn't even mention God. Jonah doesn't, doesn't want them to be saved. He doesn't care. Which is why it's so amazing that the next verse says, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. Next slide. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. In fact, in the rest of the chapter, it says, the king comes off the throne. He takes off his royal robes. He puts on burlap and he sits on a pile of ashes. And he is so concerned with repentance that they put burlap on the cows. All right, this would be like you go into downtown Halifax, you preach a five-word sermon, everybody gets saved, and then they go, we feel so bad, let's make our cars repent. Let's just cover those in burlap. Like, this is like over-the-top repentance to a five-word sermon that he doesn't even mention God in. 
And so you would think that, like, at the end of the story, Jonah's like, oh, man, guys, you know, like, at first I didn't want to come, you know, when my moms and dads dropped me off. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to be here. I was crying. But then at the end of summer camp, we're all high-fiving. We're hugging each other. Everything is great now, right? The camera pans out, and everyone is just laughing at the dining hall. That's what this feels like, right? It should be kind of like a happy ending. In fact, some children's books end it right there. They don't go into the next chapter for good reason. Let's look at this, chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans, because God spares the Ninevites, greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God. Okay, those are all good things. Slow to get angry. Interesting word picture here. Just in the original language, this is a word picture that means that God has long nostrils. Which means that when God is slow to get angry, he goes, that's what that is. It's like a fatherly, I'm going to kill my kids kind of image right there. And filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people, also a good thing. Just kill me now, Lord. What? This, this doesn't make sense. This dude has just seen a massive revival. He's like, I'd rather be dead. Kill me. You're like, okay, what is happening right now? <clears throat> I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is, is it right for you to be angry about this? And Jonah just walks away. Like he can't even respond. He's just so mad that he walks away. Then he goes and sits on a hillside, and it says, in some translations, he built a booth. <laughs> He's not very skilled. Uh, he went to Bible college. So he can't get shade on top of this booth. And God causes a plant to grow and shade him from the sun. And it says that Jonah is exceedingly happy because, once again, the blessing of God has come to his life. But then in the middle of the night, God causes a worm to eat the plant and it dies, right? And you're like, oh, that's less of a good story. How did that happen? But then Jonah wakes up in the morning, and he's sweating. The wind is blowing, and he's like, it would just be better if I die. Can we bring up the last verse in Jonah there, Jonah 4? <clears throat> then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And then God just mic drops. End of the book. Jonah is throwing a hissy fit, being like, just kill me. And God is like, hey, Jonah, you see this plant? Well, this is a word picture for you. This is a metaphor. Uh, you care more about the plant than 120,000 people, not to mention cattle. And that's the end of the book. And what this would do to an ancient audience is it would be like punching them in the gut because they'd go, oh, that got weird and dark. And uh-oh, I'm like Jonah. You see, this is a cautionary tale because what it does is highlight tendencies in the human heart that pull us away from God, that cause us to run at the calling of God, that cause us to have bitterness and hardness in our hearts despite God doing great things. It's a mirror that makes the reader go, oh, that's not encouraging. <laughs> but here, here's the thing, it is encouraging. And you may be sitting here being like, what do I really have to do with an ancient prophet of Israel anyway? Like, I'm, I don't have any commonality. But actually you do. Matthew 28, verse 18. 
says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And fear not, for I am with you to the end of the age, the very end of the age. Jonah was called to reach a lost city. You are called to reach a lost world. And what that means is that we are called. Maybe you're sitting in this room today and you're like, I I don't know if I have any significance. I come to church. No, no, you are called. If you follow Jesus in this place, there is a calling on your life. God most high has put purpose on your life and a reason for you to get up out of bed in the morning and it's to reach the lost. You have the same call that Jonah had on his life. And what that means is there are some of the same pitfalls that we need to avoid. And so there's three real quick points, and we're going to go through them nice and quick this morning that I want to just highlight. The first one is this. The good life is the God life. It's very evident when you look at the life of Jonah that he had an idea of what the good life was, and God's calling was not it. He was fine when he was in the temple. He was fine when he was in the palace, and he had the robes, and he was, like, you know, driving multiple camels. Like, he was totally good with that. He was fine when the fish saved him from drowning. He was fine when the plant was over top of him giving him shade. But when it came to other people, he was like, oh, no, that's not, no, no, no. (laughs) I'm not the prophet that goes to bad people and sees them saved. You should just kill me if you're going to do that. What? And this is extreme for a reason. And I'm not saying that you're out here being like, you know what I really want? Genocide. No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, don't hear that this morning, church. And if you do, please talk to someone on your way out. But here's the reality. We all have a vision of the good life. The question is, does it line up with God's vision of the God life? You see, the reality is that the good life is the God life. God's life for you is the good life that we desire to live, but sometimes we disorder our desires, we get it a little bit wrong, and we start doing things that are contrary to God's life for us. You know that Jesus said that I have come, that they have life and have it abundantly? That word abundantly means it is exceeding in quality. That means that Christians are supposed to have the best lives. I'm not saying the easiest lives, but you're supposed to have a joy deep down that fills you up. You're supposed to have a purpose that drives you. You're supposed to wake up every morning and go, I know who I am and what I am called for, and I am going for it. I am living the good life. That's what we're called to. That's what God offers us. The only problem is sometimes when God offers that, there's a ship going the opposite way. And God goes, do you want the good life? And we're like, Tarshish is looking pretty good this time of year, right? And obviously it's not Tarshish. I mean, unless you know where Tarshish is, in which case, be blessed. But it could be as simple as my Netflix queue. God has called me to reach my neighbor and everything, but (laughs) I got three seasons to get through, so don't got time for that. You know, God has called me to reach my family, but, um, you know, I'm just really mad at them, (laughs) Because they said that thing three years ago, and uh, I can't let that go. You know, God has, God has called me to, to go and reach a city. But, you know, I, the thing is, if I do that, I'm not going to have enough time for myself. So what does the good life look like to you? Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's all of the skins on Fortnite. Maybe it's a pair of Yeezys. Maybe a Supreme hoodie. I don't know what it looks like. 
Maybe it's having a white picket fence and 2.5 kids. What does it look like to you? And the question is, does it serve God? See, in and of themselves, those things are not bad. When they become bad is when they take the place of God's calling in our life, when they push aside the purpose that God has put on our lives so that we can pursue that instead of God. That's where it becomes an issue in our lives, church. And you may be sitting there being like, yeah, but, you know, it's just, it's hard. But here's the truth. The reason why we get disordered desires that we take our priorities and put them out of whack is because sometimes we don't trust God to fulfill and satisfy us his way. So we go, well, God, I appreciate what you do for me. I appreciate the blessing, but I got, I got to get my own life because you're not going to give me that. And so we try to find it in Netflix. We try to find it in relationships. We try to find it in that fling or that thing, whatever it may be. And this is not to make you be like, oh, man, this is... It's kind of hard preaching. That hurts, you know? This is not to be like, you're a terrible person, so there you go. No, 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 that's not the point because look at Jonah. Jonah is all of these things and more. He wants the genocide of 120,000 people. But what's beautiful, and this is my second point if you're taking notes, point one was God's way or God's life is the good life. Point number two, as it comes up on the screen, it's just very simply, I can't remember my second point. I gotta look at my notes. <laughs> Second power line. Yeah, there we go. God's call is bigger than your fall. It doesn't matter if you got disordered desires sometimes. It doesn't matter if you're pursuing your vision of, of the good life and you messed it up. And maybe you're sitting there going, Matt, I appreciate what you're saying about calling, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't even know what I did yesterday. Can I just tell you something? God does. And his call on your life is bigger than that. God's call is bigger than your fall. Jonah phones it in when he's praying on that ship. And all those sailors get saved. He sends an angry tweet to a city of 120,000 angry, hard-hearted pagans, and all of them get saved. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were like, you know what, God? I know I got stuff in my life. I know that I'm working it out. I know that I got stuff that I got to work through, but God, I'm going to give you my life. I'm gonna give you my work relationships. I'm gonna give you my family. I'm gonna give you my unsaved relatives. And, and, and I'm gonna do what I can, but God, I need you to do something. See, the reality is it's not that Jonah was such an eloquent speaker, it's that God moved. God moved despite him, actually. Imagine what it would be like if we went, God, as I'm on this journey, use me now. One of the greatest mistakes that we can make as Christians is going, I don't have it together enough to reach people. Can I be honest with you? If you're waiting for that, you're never going to reach a person. And if we're waiting for perfect people to go and reach our city, the city of Halifax, it's never going to get reached because you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Lord, you don't even know how not perfect I am. But by grace, by God's plan being bigger than my fall, his his grace and love, we can reach the city together. And you know, the beauty is God's not calling you because he needs someone to do something for him. My third point is just really simply, sons and daughters are like their father. Now, what does that mean? Sons and daughters are like their father. Have you ever wondered in this kind of story, and maybe not because you've only heard it for the first time five minutes ago, 
why God keeps going with Jonah? Like, really, let's be real for a second. God looks at Jonah and is like, what are you doing? He's like, nothing, I'm just running. You're like, okay, Jonah, I, I'm with you. I'm the ever-present God. Okay, we're going to send a storm, I guess. We're going to deal with the ship. Do I have your attention, Jonah? And Jonah's like, no. <laughs> right? And he's like, okay, that's a timeout for you, bud. And he puts him in a fish in a dark, enclosed space for three days. You just think about what you did. Right? And what I'm getting at here is how do you see God? Do you see God as a taskmaster who is looking for slaves and servants to just do his bidding? Or do you see him as a heavenly father who's looking for partners to share in his kingdom? I can tell you, he's looking for partners. He's looking for sons and daughters that start to tear, that bear his heart. That's what God is looking for. And with Jonah, you can see the father heart all throughout the story. The reason that God keeps going with Jonah is not because Jonah was the only person that could do the job. It's actually just because he wanted Jonah's heart to change. God knew the entire time that he was going to have to do the work for him. He gives him a timeout, and when he finally gets spit up on the shore, he's like, okay, let's go, bud. You can almost picture Jonah as a toddler. Just think of the story that way. And Jonah's like, I don't really want to. He's like, that's okay, little guy. Let's go. Come on, we're going to go to Nineveh. All right, what sermon have you prepared? Yet in 40 days. Okay, that's a little rough. That needs some editing in people's hearts. And God just finishes Jonah's homework for him, essentially, right? And Jonah gets an A+. And what does he do when he gets that A+. Just kill me. You're like, what? He's like, I'm not speaking to you, dad, and runs away. And you're like, okay, he's having a temper tantrum. <laughs> but then look at God. God just cautiously and patiently, slow to anger, goes, what's going on, bud? And just bends down with Jonah. Jonah's like, I told you this would happen. He's like, yeah. Are you right to be angry, Jonah? Yes. Okay, let, tell you what, I'm going to give you a metaphor. Look at this plant. You like that plant? I love this plant. It's amazing. Great. Wait till tomorrow. The next day it dies. Jonah's having another hissy fit. Just kill me. Oh, I hate my life. And you're like, whoa. He's moved from a toddler to a prepubescent teenager. This is amazing. And God's just, hey, bud. You remember that plant that I made? Yeah. You didn't do anything for that plant, right? No. But you loved it? Yes. Well, I made each and every single one of these people. And where you see an enemy, I see sons and daughters that haven't been brought home yet. Jonah, come to me. I am your father. You know, for you in your life, maybe father has a bad connotation. But can I just tell you that father does not mean what you think it means. It's everything that you wish it meant. That he's always present that he is with you, that he is proud of you, that he picks you up when you fall, that he is slow to anger, that he is merciful, that he is compassionate, that he believes in you, that he cares enough about you to not just go, you're my servant or my slave, but you are a son and daughter that I am making to look like me. I am making you in my own image so that you can reach other sons and daughters that are still away from home. His father heart loves you. And you know, maybe you're in this place this morning. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, you know, Matt, that's, that's great and all, but what does that mean? 
It means that what you need to now do is instead of seeing God as a slave driver that is just looking for you to complete tasks, to say, Father, how can I partner with you? What are you doing that you want me to be a part of? And like a kid in the kitchen making cookies with their mom or dad, God does 90% of the work, but he just wants to share it with you because he wants you to start looking like him. And you know, maybe you're in this place and you're just sitting there going, you know, Matt, that's great and everything. And I, and I close with this. That's great and everything. But Matt, the truth is, I don't know God. And when you're talking about the abundant life that Jesus has to offer, I want that, but, but I don't have it. I've messed up too many times. I, I, I don't know if God would even take me. God's plan for you is bigger than your fall. And God loves you. Jesus invites you to come and experience the life that he has for you. And all it takes is, is just a simple decision to say yes. So if I could get every head bowed, every eye closed in this place, just for the sake of privacy, nothing weird going on. If you're in this place and for the first time you're going, I, I want that life. I want that abundant life that you're talking about. I want the life that is good. I want the life God's way. I've tried it my own way. I've called out to all sorts of different things to try to stop the storm in my life and nothing has stuck. I need a God that is willing and able to save me from what I'm going through. I need a God that is willing and able to rescue me from sin. A God that is willing and able to rescue me from the shame that I feel and the guilt that I feel and the expression of struggle that I'm going through. If that's you in this place, just real simply on the count of three, would you just raise your hand if you want to accept Jesus and you want to accept the abundant life that he has for you? One, God loves you. Two, he's here in this place. Three, would you lift your hand if that's you so I know who I'm praying for. I see that hand. Yeah, you can put that down. Yeah, I see that hand. Come on, anyone else? I see that hand. You can put it down. Anyone else in this place that you would say, yes, I want to accept Jesus. I want to come to know him in this place. Come on, can we just pray this together? Can I get everyone to pray this with me, the band as well? We're just gonna pray this with these people just to help them feel comfortable. We've all, many of us in this room have prayed this prayer. Just say, dear Jesus, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you that you are a loving father. I thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. And right now I say, I believe. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose again. And I now declare you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we give it up for these people that raise their hand? This is a huge decision, a huge decision. You know, I got in my hand this Connect card, and if you, if you lifted your hand in this place this morning, would you do me a favor and just fill this out and take it to the welcome uh, wall out in the lobby afterwards. We would love to connect with you. We would love to, to actually help walk you through what that means for you. But you know, even if you didn't raise your hand, maybe you're a little bit afraid or shy, you can still make that decision. You can fill this out and go in the lobby. We'd love to connect with you and we'd love to chat with you. Well, church, that's all I got. And so we love you guys. We got coffee in the lobby. The coffee is flowing. Be blessed. We'll see you guys next week. Hug someone. Say hi to someone as you go out. Be blessed.